0: Well, I've enjoyed the music tonight, and I have to say, I enjoyed um, the the first half more than the second half, simply because I was on the front row for the brass ensemble here. <laughs> and so, I think I enjoyed that special right there. It it it, it sounded good. But have you seen that that uh, I think it's like a magazine ad where the guy's sitting in the chair and he's got this speaker in front of him, and and it's like he's just like this, and the his hair's going back, you know, because the the sound, I looked over, and, um, and that's what the whole front row was like in, in that. And so, but I, I've loved, loved the music, love the, the, the quality and the spirit uh, of the music here. It's already been a great conference. And um, I've met people from all over the United States, both coasts. Uh, some of you come a long way to be here, and a lot of you have gone through a lot of expense. To get here as well. And I hope that you feel like the expense has been worth it in coming to a conference like this. I have to tell you, uh, I came for one day a couple of years ago. I, w- I was speaking. I just had to, because of the schedule, had to, had to fly in and then flew right back out. I came for one day. And if you want to ask yourself, is it worth the expense, you have to realize that one day ended up costing me $50,000. So, I know what I'm talking about when I say, no, it, it, you have to feel like it's worth it. I came for one day and I thought it was worth $50,000. You say, well, how on earth did that happen? Well, I hadn't been here before. And so, I came and I exposed to the music and especially the orchestra and the quality of it and what it added and got to spend some time, talked to Elizabeth and Daniel and all of them and saw, so, man, I was so inspired. I went back and started challenging our youth and our people said, "Listen, our orchestra, all of a sudden, seems a little lame." <laughs> and so, we, man, we got to do something about this. And um, and it was at a time where I had more responsibility for the music, the the uh, kind of my right hand for 18 years, music director and youth director. But Jason Jet had was just leaving to go to South Dakota to pastor in uh, Sioux Falls at Eastside Baptist Church, and so. I didn't have him to take care of that. And so I went back and I challenged him, All right, well, that's two years ago, so this Saturday when I get back home we are going to have completed a $50,000 platform renovation because the orchestra more than doubled in size. So, Elizabeth you cost it $50,000. <laughs> Daniel, I don't know where he's at, but so be thankful that if it only cost you two thousand dollars this week, be thankful that that's all you had to, that it cost you in, in that case. but it was worth that still, and I, I'm thankful for that. I've appreciated every session so much and i I have um obviously I have a great love for the Ingrams, for the Billy and Christie has been such a vital part of our life i I so appreciated his session today and I can't emphasize the importance of what he said about the local church. Amen. It's vitally important. And I, the authority of the church is so important. And I, I'm not going to preach on that tonight, but I, I think there's sometimes there's an important part of the New Testament that we can forget about or lose sight of. Do you remember Jesus' last day? He took the most important message for mankind And gave it to those few men. Gave them the responsibility to take care of it. And then he prepared for them to have the greatest power that there could be. So they could have the Holy Spirit. And then he left the earth. And he ascended to heaven. But sometimes we forget what he did for the next 50 years. Because we think, well, his revelation was closed. No, it wasn't he watched. For the next 50 years, he watched. And what did he watch? He watched churches because John found himself on the Isle of Patmos, exiled, 50 years later. And Jesus had something to say. And so he went to John. He he spoke to John and said, John, basically it had been 50 years and so he could say through these 50 years, here's what I've been observing churches. And I have seven churches. I have a specific message to each one of them. And for those 50 years, having given that message to those men and given them that power, then he watched those churches to see what they would do with it to be sure that it accomplished everything it needed to. And just throw that out there, he didn't write a letter to the church. He wrote a letter to churches, individual congregations that he had watched and that he wanted to say something to. I'm telling you, the local church is important to the plan of God. And thankfully, there are churches that are as serious as this one is that they're going to use the base of a local church to have a Bible college and then influence people like us coming in and having the opportunity to hear some of the things that God has done in their heart and and that they have had a special passion for so that people like me can come to a church like this and learn some things that I needed to learn this week. So, Brother Ingram, thank you for clarity on the local church. That's, That's great. And I hope that we will pay attention to that. i want to invite your attention to Matthew chapter 18. If you'll turn to Matthew chapter 18, if you would stand with me. Matthew chapter 18. I realize it may be difficult for the orchestra or something. That's, that's okay. Matthew chapter 18. Just going to read a couple verses here, and we'll spend just a, a little bit of time in these, and we're going to go back to Matthew 5, and then we'll come back to Matthew 18. Again, Matthew chapter 18. I was thankful with uh, Dr. Jim making his comments the other night about how thankful he was that Peter was in the Bible because he makes a a lot of us feel a little bit better about where we are and what we've done. And I am thankful that his story is recorded. And and I, I don't know if the Lord left anything out or not. He could have and still would have been Scripture, but he gave us enough to be thankful that he's there. This is an interesting conversation between Peter and the Lord. Verse 21. Then came Peter to him, meaning to Jesus Christ, and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Father, You've already done a lot in our hearts this week, and I would just ask that you would use this truth, this message to contribute a little bit more to what it is that you know, and that you long to see happen in those that have come for the Victory Conference. And so I pray that it would be clear, even compelling, And that what you said and how you said it would mean a lot to us in contemplating what we need to do with all that you're saying to us this week. Thank you for how the service has already prepared our hearts before you to to know you and we've already seen great attributes of you through the music and now use the preaching of your word, I pray in Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. There's a scene that is described in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It doesn't tell us a lot about it, but in verse 10, we are reminded, taught about the judgment seat of Christ. If you could just picture that scene for a little bit, we don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but if you could imagine that you would be standing here and. Jesus Christ would be standing there because we are going to give an account to Him. And I suppose it's possible that maybe in between me and Him, between you and Him, there might be some kind of large bowl. And our works are going to be placed into this bowl. And it's going to be determined, all that we have, what is good and bad... And it's all going to be placed in there and then in some ways it's going to be put to a fire. And then once the smoke clears, I can see Jesus taking his finger and sifting through the ashes. Maybe just hoping that he touches something solid, a piece of gold or silver, some kind of a precious stone. That's going to be a very sobering scene for every one of us. And I wonder what the conversation's going to be like. I suppose it will have a lot to do with how much remains among the ashes that will be there. But that won't be the time to decide, okay, Jesus... Now I know this is what you were after. I wish I would have realized that before because there probably be every one of us to varying levels, to varying extent, are going to wish that we had known a little bit more or paid a little bit more attention to what Jesus expected. But that's not the time to have the conversation because it will be too late. That's why I'm thankful for this conversation because Peter and Jesus had a similar conversation where Peter presents what he believes is acceptable and Jesus gives his assessment. So in verse 21, Peter comes to Jesus and he asks him, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and and I forgive him? Now, it's, it's quite possible he's either talking about, you know, his brother committing maybe seven different sins and he, and he has to forgive him. Or maybe he means the same sin seven times, but he wants to know if, if my brother comes and, and he, he offends me and I forgive him. If he offends me again, how many times do I need to forgive him? What would be expected of me in, in that situation? Now we need to remember, isn't Peter a pretty big dreamer? He thinks big, doesn't he? Remember walking on water? Three tabernacles? Remember all of those other guys are going to, they're, they're going to be offended and they're going to betray you, they're going to deny you, but I will never deny you. I don't, I don't fault him for that, but I mean, he thought big. And he was a big dreamer and there was something in his heart that that was significant. And so it it seems that Peter, who always had those those kinds of answers, then he finally comes up with something and he says, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? And then he presents a number, a quantified number to Jesus. And he says, seven times? Now, I, don't, I don't know exactly how Peter thought, but I imagine Peter thinking, Jesus is going to love this. <laughs> I may not have impressed him on the water because I had a little problem there. And he may not have gone for the three tabernacles idea. And I, I don't think the, the denial thing had come yet. And he probably had his ears knocked back a little bit. But I have to think that in this case, he's thinking, i finally have something that will impress Jesus. Seven times? Man. Jesus comes back and presents His own number, a quantified number. It's probably redundant, have to be quantified to be a number, but he, He gives something specific. And Jesus presents His own number At 70 times what Peter offered. I mean, this is a huge difference. This had to, um, I mean, it's blow Peter's mind like, oh my soul, how could I have missed it? I mean, I wasn't off by one, I wasn't off by 10, I wasn't even off by 20, I was off 70 times. Why do I always do this to myself? (laughs) You had to be frustrated and. I mean, Peter probably couldn't even imagine because he had offered seven. He's probably thinking, "How on earth is 490 even possible?" I'm so far away from that. But in the middle, Jesus says something very, very telling, and it's what caught my attention one time. And I was, as I was reading through this for the umpteenth time. But the Lord used it to speak to me. Because Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee. I say not unto thee. Peter, you didn't get that from me. That that number you came up, I didn't give you that number. I, I don't know where that came from. And I would think this would have to cause Peter to ask himself, where did I get that from? If Jesus is going to make the point to me, I didn't give you that number, then Peter would probably be having to think, "Man, if I don't want to do this again, I need to figure out where did that come from? Where did I come up with seven? I mean, let, let me ask you, you have to raise your hand, but do some of you know somebody that has been hurt or offended, and they have yet to find it in their heart to forgive that person even one time? I mean, probably most of you know somebody that have, has yet to forgive somebody for an offense they committed unto them the first time and they've not forgiven even once. Maybe you're there... Maybe you came to the point of finally forgiving somebody for something that was very hurtful and and was something that was a struggle for you to get over and it it may have taken a very long time and and a, a great work of grace, but you came to the point and you finally forgave that one time and that in and of itself might have been huge. You know what the Pharisees of that day had a saying that if you forgave someone three times, that was the work of a righteous man. And the Pharisees certainly were experts on righteousness, weren't they, in their minds. Three times that was a big deal. And Peter likely would have known that. And so imagine Peter saying, okay, so I... I know Jesus doesn't like the Pharisees. He likes the sinners better than the Pharisees. He, he prefers to spend more time with the sinners than He does the Pharisees. And so, I'm not, I don't like their answer. So, let's take their answer and I'll double that one. We'll go to six. But no, I don't think Jesus likes the number six, so let's add one (laughs) because I know Jesus loves seven. He loves the number seven for some reason, so I'm going to round that up to seven, and that's what I'm going to present to Jesus. And he does, and and somehow comes up with this number that he thinks Jesus would be impressed with, and he presents it to him. And he must have been stunned To hear Jesus respond with 490. Now, because this is Jesus, Peter really does need to think about that number about how many times he would forgive a brother. Do you know why? He's a disciple of somebody who is on his way to the cross. And he is going to die and provide forgiveness for the sins of the whole world. Billions and billions and trillions. I mean, the, the, the number, we, we couldn't even contain the number. He is a disciple of somebody who is going to go and take the sins of the world up on himself on the cross... And that any who come to Jesus Christ can know that forgiveness and know it once or twice or or ten times or a hundred times or in in all of our cases, thousands and thousands of times that we have needed the, the forgiving blood of Jesus Christ who went to the cross and that was the very one that Peter was trying to learn from and he was a disciple of. That's what Jesus was capable of. Forgiving. And so Peter potentially thinking, Man, at my best, I can forgive seven times. And it's as if Jesus is saying, Peter, at my best, you can forgive 490 times because of what I'm going to do. And Jesus knew what Peter was capable of under Christ's control. If he could ever come to the point of depending on him and with Christ's help. See, on the other side of the seven that Peter had come up with was a life that I would like to call the 483 life that he couldn't even imagine at the time and likely thought was impossible. It's as if seven was the possible. 483 represented the impossible. And Peter was, if you'll notice, throughout the Gospels, for a lot of it it seems that Peter might have been living his seven But then through the process of the cross and all that took place in his life, we come to a point where you go to the book of Acts, and a page has been turned in Peter's life, and it finally seems to be that he has placed his real dependence and recognized his need of Christ, and he begins to live the 483 life in the book of Acts. And what we see is phenomenally different than what we saw in the Gospels. And a lot of causes to ask, is it possible that sometimes we settle for a seven life when Jesus actually offers us the 483? I may use 483 and 490 interchangeably and maybe sometimes intentionally and sometimes not. 490 seems to represent the the perfect standard. The reason I'm saying the 483 is because Peter likely was capable of, of seven to an extent, but that other 483 is what Jesus presented to him that Jesus could do and would allow Peter to do in his dependence upon Christ. So I'm going to refer to that as the 483. And let's be honest tonight, all of us have come up with our own number. Every one of us have a number. All of us have set our bar in every area of our lives. Something every one of us are being challenged with this week. Every one of us have set a number for prayer life. Jesus, is this what you're after? And we offer him a seven. Because we've set a number. We come up in our our minds. Here's what, here's what Jesus wants. Here's what Jesus will be pleased with. And and, and we come up with a a number as pastors, we come up with a number in preaching. Every, Every pastor, every preacher here today has come up with a number in preaching. Jesus, is this how much you want me to study? This is what I think I'm capable of doing. This is what I, I think is, is possible, and, and this is what I'm after. And, and when it comes to visiting, and, and when it comes to forgiving, every one of us have something in our lives. We, we, have, we have set some kind of a quantification that we believe this is what Jesus would be pleased with. And we offer it. Missionaries have a bar. Evangelists have a bar staff members have a bar pastors wives have a bar staff wives have a bar church members all of them have their numbers many a church member it sets a bar especially early on thinking okay what is it that jesus expects of me to go to church and a lot of times they'll start out with a, a Sunday morning, and 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 they're thinking that's that's more that's just killing a bear right there. But then, but then they realize oh, there's Sunday night services, and so then they start coming on on a Sunday night, and you know, and they're they're thinking a little bit about maybe a conversation they they have with their coworker after they you know they themselves discovered Sunday night service, and and they tell their coworker, man, I I went to church on Sunday night. I didn't even know they had Sunday night services, and. And maybe their coworker says, well, You have to go to church on Sunday night? And they're thinking, well, yeah, we have Sunday night services and I go. And maybe the coworker says, Man, we don't have to go on Sunday night. Our pastor says all you gotta do is is once a week, and she says that's enough. <laughs> and so she doesn't, your wife well, could go to that church, but church members decide they set a bar, like, no, that's Sunday night, and but then it maybe it grows to Wednesday night, and then you have a conference and Every church member has a bar. Every church member has a bar for giving. Set a bar. Here's here's the number that that I'm going to present to Jesus. Every member has a bar in forgiving. I set a number. I think that. I think that this is, this is all that really Jesus would expect of me is. Is forgiving this number of times, but if they do that again, I don't think the Lord would be. They, they, somebody else gonna to have to teach them a lesson because that's just not right. We all have our number in trying to reach people for Christ, soul winning. How much is enough? Husbands have bars. Husbands come up with numbers. Wives come up with numbers, fathers, mothers. We come up, we all have a number when it comes to patience, don't we? And when patience turns to anger is when we have reached whatever number that we thought this is the appropriate number. Beyond that, that's not expected. I I mean, we we just need to realize it's in every part of life. You know, even the thing that—not the thing—as if it was the only. But when I was here last time, and especially this time, I, man, I just again, I just I loved I loved the music, and and I, I I was music director at our church under my pastor at the time, Brother Sam Davison, and I and I loved music, and I, I fell in love with it then, and have been ever since, and envied Brother Jason being able to be music director, and I come here, and I'm just like I'm just blown away all the time. But you know what? Something that I I've learned is that. Orchestra members have numbers, and people that play an instrument, they have a number. I mean, we're just talking really practical for a minute. How much should I practice? Here's my number, and that's appropriate. Choir members have a number. Sound men have a number. Ushers have a number. I mean, all of us, to a certain extent, quantify. Here's what we think is enough and appropriate for whatever we are involved in. But I don't think any of us want to get to the judgment seat of Christ and present it all to Him and at that moment hear Him say this. I said not unto thee. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I, didn't, I didn't say that to you. Amen. Amen. Where, where did you get that from? None of us want to hear Him say, right. I say not unto thee. Right. We probably ought to ask ourselves sometimes, so where do we get our numbers? Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we don't exactly know where Peter got his, but we you know, we kind of thought it might be from the Pharisees or what he thought he was capable of in that particular case. So we don't necessarily know about him, but we ought to take some time tonight and really think through, where do we get our number for that we are going to present to Christ. And how did we set our bar? Because if He didn't say to us this number, who did? Well, a lot of times it's just others. We watch other people. And maybe we watch other church members. And we take an average. All right, here's the average of the people in the church that I attend, <clears throat> and, and I've watched them, and, and here's some of the people that I like, and I think they're spiritual, and, and, and these, you know, you have these that are spiritual, and then you have these that are kind of spiritual, and, and so let me just kind of take an average in the middle that I feel like I'm comfortable of, and I might even add one and round that up just a little bit, and that'll be my number. Number. For, for a lot of young people, it might be just kind of looking around the youth group and, and figuring out if for college students, it might be looking among some other, some other people in the college and say, I, okay, I see these are, what, these are what my friends are doing, and so let me just increase that a little bit. And then I think that Jesus is going to be pleased with that. You know where some people get their number? They get it from where the, how, and where they were raised. This is what my parents did, and this is kind of the, the guidelines my parents set, and, and they could have been low, they could have been high. Who knows where they came from? Your, your parents could have had, could have had a angry characteristics or kind characteristics, and if you're not careful, the way that you were raised, or maybe the church that you were raised in, depending on, on what was preached and how those things were handled, you might have to look around and say, you know, I, I, I guess I got my number from the church that I was raised in. Or the parents that raised me, and sometimes that's good, sometimes it's not. Sometimes our bar can come from our number can come from what's easy, and this this is this you know, I, I go to the level in which I just think it's it's a little bit difficult and I don't think Jesus would expect that of me. He doesn't expect me to ever really conquer this because he, I can get so far, but I get to this point and so maybe that is where Jesus wants my bar up to that point or whatever it takes to get by. I've noticed that some people will set allow their bar to be set, their number to be determined by an offense. Somebody offends them. and Maybe it was somebody even in ministry and somebody in a church offended them at some point in time and so they stay in this hurt mode. Pastors' wives can stay in this little bit of a cocoon because they've been hurt. And so this bar ends up being set fairly low because they have gone through offense. Some people are never able to rise above some offense or hurt that they've suffered. Some will set a bar. They'll let some difficult church member set their bar low or some, somebody that is critical or, or maybe some will even let their circle set their bar And their number comes from the crowd they run with. And as long as I fit in with the crowd I run with, and I might even increase that just a little bit, then that's going to be my number that I live by. Should we ever question our bar? Should we ever have some time or we stop, maybe have some some opportunity to be challenged for maybe some voices that we don't normally hear all the time and say, you need to think about where that number came from and how you said it. Because Jesus Christ offers us a 483 life which is far beyond that which we are far too easily pleased by. Right. Now, turn to Matthew five. We're going to come back to Matthew eighteen here in a little bit. Turn back to Matthew five. This this is in some other things that Jesus said. If we'll just kind of understand that that this applies to more than than forgiveness. Certainly, that was the application. That was given in Matthew 18, and yet there's something there in which Jesus is revealing to Peter how he wants him to think that he doesn't want Peter setting his bar, that Jesus wants to be setting Peter's bar. And and it's not the only time that Jesus reflects that. Go to the end of Matthew chapter 5 and notice this. Look at verse 43. Verse 43. Jesus says, "...ye have heard that it hath been said..." Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. So he's saying, that you've heard that it hath been said. You know, that this is something that's been established before. And uh, just for the sake of brevity, could we call that seven? Look at verse 44. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. I could never do that. Wait, what do you mean? Love my, love my enemies? I have a hard time loving my neighbor. You don't know my neighbor. That's, that's, a, that's a tall order. And, and I based on who my neighbor is, for me to just love my neighbor, that's about as far as it's going to go with me. And, and I'm thankful that I can hate my enemies. But if we could call verse 44... That's the 483 life. Jesus says, no, here's what I say unto you. That, that, you, that you come to this point. You think that's a, that's a tall order, but we ought to call that the 483 or even the perfect standard of 490 that comes out there. And Well, let's look at verse 45 because you, you just have to wonder, how did Jesus come up with his number? Because he said, here's seven And here's here's 490 or 483, and then verse 45 says where he got that number. That ye may be the children of your Father, which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. So Jesus is explaining, let me tell you why 490 needs to be your number. Let me tell you why you can't be content just loving your neighbor and hating your enemies. You need to love your enemies and you need to bless them that curse you and do good to them that hate you. Let me explain why. Because that's what your father does. Because he has his big bright sun out there and he allows that sun to shine not only on the good people, he allows the evil people to despitefully use his sun against him. And that rain that He gives that provides so much to the crops and so much for them to be able to have some drinking water and to provide so much of life, He gives that to the just and to the unjust. And that's your Father. Just as Peter had to realize that Jesus Christ would, would provide this much forgiveness and would be capable of providing this many times of forgiving and that all of us would need then we come to the point where we find out Jesus says, "Disciples, I want you to realize this is how your Father acts. That needs to be where your four ninety comes from." Yes. So then he goes to verse forty six and forty seven, and he kind of drives the point home. For if you love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? The publicans don't care about God. They don't have a Savior. And so why are you just living what they live? Because you live that seven life, anybody can do that. It doesn't take Jesus Christ to live that life. It doesn't take a Savior to be that way. You, you, you just live that way and you're going to live like anybody else that's not relying on God. They don't even need God in their mind. Verse 47, if you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans so? And now he lays it all out there in verse 48. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Um, You want to talk tall order? That's in the form of a command, isn't it? Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect? You talk about a high bar. I mean, that's the ultimate definition of 490. Anybody here achieve that yet? Anybody here going to achieve it like he did before you die? No, not likely. Why did he say it then? Because that's the bar we are supposed to have so that we continue to attempt what we think is impossible. Because as long as we're simply trying to do the possible, we don't need Him. And we are to be driven to what we consider to be the impossible by the God that we serve and the Savior who saved us. Now you think, I I don't know, probably you think the same thing I do. When you read that, you think, man, that makes me feel inadequate. Because if if, I'm, if, the, if the Father is my standard, if that's supposed to be my standard, there's no way that I can achieve that and it makes me feel inadequate. Of course it does. It should. Amen. The higher the standard you choose, the more inadequate you ought to feel. Amen. And it's going to be some pressure. But sometimes you're simply going to feel as inadequate as a few loaves and fishes. You, I mean, Jesus says... Philip, what do you think ought to do? We've got to feed all these people. And well, Lord, I, I don't I don't know. I, I see five loaves and two fishes. <laughs> but what are they among so many? Which, by the way, adds up to seven. I'm not doing numerology on you here, but <laughs> it is seven. Just thought I'd throw that in there in case some of you were a little slow to the to the, to the trigger there. So, I mean, Philip says you yeah, but that can't do anything. Well, they were inadequate loaves until they changed hands. Amen. Right. Amen. And once they changed hands, then all of a sudden this seven, it wasn't even 490. It was 5,000 plus. And that everybody's marveling at what the seven did when it came into the hands of that which was able to do something with that which felt inadequate. And when we come to a point of realizing, okay, the, the, the thing is that, that I, I think this is what my number is and we identify where it came from and we realize, okay, wait a minute, that's not it. We need to, we need to realize who our Savior is. We need to realize who our God is and that, and that He says to be therefore perfect and that drives me to inadequacy and that drives me to the point of realizing, okay, if I'm, gonna, if I'm going to attempt that, then I'm going to have to change hands and let Jesus Christ do something that I cannot do. With my seven Amen. Amen. now go back to Matthew eighteen, if you would. let's want to take this a step further if we could. So after this conversation, and Jesus tells Peter, no, I say unto thee uh, I, I didn't say unto thee seven, but until seventy times seven and then it's if he knows that Peter's going to need a little bit of help understanding that, and so he tells him a story, and he gives him a gives him a, a parable here. And, and so let, let's just read through that. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him ten thousand talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and children, and all that he had in payment to be made. The servant, therefore, fell down and worshipped him, saying, "Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all." Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants. "'which owed him an hundred pence. "'And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, "'saying, Pay me that thou owest. "'And his fellow servant fell down at his feet "'and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, "'and I will pay thee all. "'And he would not, but went and cast him into prison "'till he should pay the debt.' So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth. And delivered him to the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. So the one, somebody owed him 10,000 talents. For the moment, could we call that 490? And he was forgiven all of that. So then, the same servant who has forgiven all of that, he's going along and goes to one of his servants, who owed him a hundred pence. For the sake of illustration, could we call that the seven? And two motivating truths come out of this story when you begin to look at it in light of the conversation that was just had. And it's interesting, the, these two truths are kind of contrasting, and although not the opposite. In other words, Jesus makes one point in the story itself, and then he makes a contrasting point when he summarizes it in the last verse. And the, and the first part, the, the story point that he makes is the servant in the story benefits from 490, then turns around and gives back seven. I mean, he was forgiven the 490. He was forgiven 10,000. But then somebody owes him 100, and he turns around and he refuses to forgive even that 100 pence and the seven. So this servant was treated with 490. And the master's very angry with that because he returned a seven, even though he had been shown 490. The master is angry enough that he takes and throws him into prison. And that truth emerges from there, that one that is shown the 490 ought to be careful returning a seven. Then he closes that verse 35, and he says, So shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. It's as if Jesus says, you want to live a seven? Then seven's all you're going to get back. Just a little bit of a pattern there. You you want to live seven? Then you're going to basically get seven back. And the two sides of these points are that what you have seen in the past should drive your present and your future. And then your present is going to determine some of your future. Now here... Here's where I want to divert just a little bit, not from the truth, but in the application. And I want to preach to everybody, but I want to include some of the college students, all the college students in this, and certainly church members as well. But many of us need to stop for a bit at times in our lives and think about all the 490 that we've seen in our lives. How God has brought 490 or at least those who have set 490 as their number, as their standard that God has brought them into our lives at various times and various places. And I don't, even, I don't mean perfect people at all. But it isn't just that Jesus says, I'm the, I'm the only one that you can look at. Even Timothy realized, no, I, I know that Paul is trying to follow Christ. And so I can learn a lot from following Paul. And it, it had to be somewhat of a, of a very wonderful pressure on Timothy to realize and watch how Paul operated. Because he realized Paul's a 490 that God put in my life. And I better not go live in a seven. I have two primary heroes in my life, earthly speaking. One of those is my father, pastor at Eastland Baptist Church in Tulsa for 30 years. And he and mom tonight in Arizona ministering to some church there. And then Brother Sam Davison, who was my pastor, trained me in ministry besides what, what I got from my father. And I remember sometime in my early years, I watched my dad, who was so passionate about ministry. And growing up as a a preacher's kid, there's probably a few times that I thought, man, I I guess I feel a little bit cheated because, you know, all these people get the time. And honestly, it never was a form of bitterness, never was a a form of rebellion. But I remember thinking, man, I, I got a pretty driven dad. And then Brother Sam Davison and his preaching and his passion for for ministry and and man just those men just did everything. It seemed like a hundred miles an hour in ministry. And there were some times that I kind of wrote it off and I thought, you know, that's just their generation. They're just just driven men and they're just passionate about about all of these things. And and it was just their personality. But it wasn't. It was their standard. But they refused to let people around them form their standard. And something in them said, No, I, I want to I strive for the impossibility of being perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect. I want to live like Jesus Christ offers me the opportunity to live like. And I would I'd never in a million years attain what those men have done, but something in me says, God, thank you for showing me 490. Don't let me return 790. Don't let me go into ministry and end up going halfway and having the opportunity to have seen 490 lived out in these ways and then go into ministry myself. And and I, I know that I'm going to fail. I know that I'm going to get frustrated. I know I'm going to keep working on it. But I don't want to come up with my own number just because, boy, they just looked like that was so high. College students, raise your hands. Would you just raise your hands? Got a lot of you back here. Listen, God has put 490 in front of you in a lot of places here. I'm I'm not lifting up men. But in our generation, here's some 490. I'm not saying perfect. I'm saying a, a standard that has maintained is obviously I want to be everything that God would allow me to be. And Dr. Jim. And the staff that you've got here at this school. And a pastor's wife. And wives of these school leaders. And you're very blessed, young men and young ladies. Because you're at a place where God has put before you an abundance of 490. And the master doesn't take kindly to you having 490 in front of you and leaving this place and giving seven. Don't don't you take what you've learned at this college and march out there and decide, okay, now here's what my peers say. You better figure out where they got their number from before you go follow them. Because God has blessed you with everything that you get to learn here and every opportunity you've seen. I mean, you even, you even take the, the, the music. You've gotten to see 490 when it comes to music. Don't go out there and start listening to all the stuff that's out there and then let some contemporary artists form your new number for you. Amen. Amen. Church members of Falls Baptist, you get to see 490 all the time. So don't be a seven-church member. Don't sit in the 490 church and be a seven-church member. God is your standard. Jesus Christ is your standard. But thankfully, he still does. I, I don't mean theologically as an in incarnation. But I, I mean, he still has those in flesh that are trying to embody the qualities and attributes that God offers to us and it enables them to try to live the Christ life. And you get to see that and you get to see it modeled over and over. Not perfectly, but you get to see men and women who have a number of 490. Don't be a seven church member. Because if you want to put seven in, you're going to turn around one day and grieve because seven's all you get back. That was the closing point. If you you want to set a seven in the raising of your children, then don't be shocked in 20 years. If that's all you want to put into it, that's all you can hope to get back. I'm thankful the grace of God can intervene. But outside of that, you have no right to expect any more you know one reason i don't want to loosen or lower a standard is because i have a i have a son on our staff took brother jet's place as our youth director graduated from bible college and i get to work with him a, just a a great privilege like your pastor gets to enjoy and i have a, another son just getting ready to graduate bible college in in may and then after having Brother, brother Jett as, as my music director and youth director, then my second son's going to become Brother Jett's youth director and music director now in, in uh, Sioux Falls. And, and I'm thinking, man, I, I, I love that as well. And have a daughter that will, our last child, third child, finish Bible college here in, in a couple years. And I, I'm thinking, man, I, I have three kids And I want them to have an opportunity to know 490 in their own life as in ministry down the road and and in their marriages and in their families. And I don't want to do anything, I don't want to mess it up to cause them not to enjoy that. I don't want to show them a a 7. I want them to be able to say I have seen, I have a place to set my number because I watched my mom and my dad and I got to watch a godly youth director and a godly music director and I got to see some 490s in my life. And we don't want to lower that because we will pay a price Amen. a conference like this tries to lay out a 490 and we've gotten to spend a few days and we are going to spend one more day asking ourselves what's our number and where did it come from my number's been challenged this week I hope yours has too. I want to end with this. I I can't help but love the story, the well-known story of 1 Samuel 17. You got Philistines on one side and and you've got the Israelites on the other side. and You got this big giant that comes out and, and spews all this nonsense and thousands of soldiers and even the king. Are living seven lives. They're number seven. They're thinking, "This is all we can do." I mean, it, it's all we can do to survive in this environment. And a young man shows up on the scene. I love verse twenty-three of First Samuel seventeen because it, it points out the fact that Goliath came while this young man was there, and it says he uttered the exact same words as he'd been saying the whole time. But from verse 23 on, everything changes. You know why? Because this young man believed in the 483. And all of these thousands of soldiers and this king were fine with their seven But a young man, David, shows up on the scene and he believes 490 is possible and goes out and slays a giant. And everything changes for Israel because one person was willing to set their number at 490. So for an invitation time, could I challenge every one of us to take just a few moments And be honest. First of all, what's really my number? Where have I set my bar? And then second, maybe ask yourself, where did I get that number from? And maybe I need to set my number aside so that I don't have to stand before him one day as he sifts through the ashes and him say, I didn't say that to you we could leave a conference like this and say, you know what, we think we've heard what Jesus has to say about our number. Would you spend just a few moments giving God an opportunity to reveal to you your number and ask him to finish the work tomorrow through the rest of the conference. Let's stand together every head bowed. Father, would you help us to be uh, open and transparent before you, that we would be honest before you about the numbers that we set. And we'd be willing to keep that honesty in, in really discerning how we set that number. Thank you for challenging us this week. I, I pray that we would allow the Holy Spirit to be involved in the bars that we set. So that we won't settle for the possible, but we would be willing to step into the impossible. Father, we need you. Without you, we can do nothing, which is basically a seven compared to what you offer. May we not settle for that. Would you do a work in the invitation, I pray in Christ's name. Amen.